Guys, again, welcome to Impact City Church. Um, what a great, great, great day it's been. Uh, woke up, it was cool outside, and that's always a good thing because in South Texas, it's about an average of 90 degrees year-round, so it was pretty good. Uh, listen, again, let me apologize going forward in this message. This is a Java and Jesus message for me, which basically means I'm up here on Little Sleep, lots of Java, and a whole lot of Jesus. And so if you don't know what that means, it means that it's going to be one of those messages where I might say something that I'm going to regret, and then we'll have to edit it from the podcast later. So it's going to be great, like this, like earlier in the announcements when I said pissed off, and I just said it again, and we're having a good time, all right? Guys, I want to start off today by saying I'm extremely excited. I'm extremely excited. Um, I've been in preaching for a few years now, and I've been in church for a while, and I've learned that there's a couple of ways to preach a sermon, a couple of ways to preach a sermon. The first way you can preach a sermon is with a lot of heart and a lot of emotion. You can come up here, you can scream, and you can be really elevated with your voice and really vocalized, and you can preach with a lot of heart and a lot of emotion. You can get people to maybe move, and those type of sermons usually stir people's hearts, okay? It's really based upon the emotion. Those type of sermons are, are targeted at tugging at the strings of your heart to, to, you know, bring some type of awareness about something in the world. Maybe it was to, to kind of bring some type of awareness of your sin or whatever is going on there. That's one way to preach a sermon. The other way we, we preach sermons, us pastors, is we do things that are really informative and kind of teach through the Bible in certain ways. Sometimes we'll, we'll get up here, and those type of messages are typically really monotone with really big words like eschatology and stuff like that, and it's really boring, and you usually fall asleep in those type of messages. Now, those messages are really good. Usually they're found like some old, small Southern Baptist church in the back of the bayou or something like that. Those messages are good for teaching you something. And you learn a lot of great things through those messages. Don't get me wrong. As a Bible nerd, I learn a lot from messages like that. I just got to learn to stay focused, which is really hard for me at times. But usually, those type of messages don't stir the heart very well. They'll teach you something, but they don't stir the heart very well. But as I was studying for today's message, I realized that the notes that I was studying were leading me to believe that this message was going to be one of those boring type messages where it was just a lot of information being thrown at you. And so over the years, I've learned, though, that the information I was studying was actually information I'm really passionate about. The thing that we're going to talk about today is something that I'm just passionate about. So even though I'm going to throw a lot of information at you, I promise you I'm going to try my best not to make you fall asleep. I haven't caught too many people falling asleep in my messages before, but I'm pretty sure there's always the first time for everything. Isn't that right? You guys are already asleep. I already lost like four of you guys. Thank you. So today we're going to be breaking down the Lord's Supper, breaking down the Lord's Supper. And through all of this learning that we're going to do today, all this information I'm going to throw at you, because, because one thing you got to know about learning is that learning is not meant just to grow your knowledge or something. It's meant to ignite a passion and a deep understanding about whatever it is that you are learning about. So as we are learning today, and as we partake in the Lord's Supper later on today, I hope and pray that you will grow into a new understanding and a passion for what exactly is the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper, if you remember, if you've been in church any amount of time, the Lord's Supper is not just something that we do every now and then in church. 
Okay? It's not just an act that we do. It's not just an act must be performed, you know, every other quarter in the church to say that we checked off, hey, we're a church that has done this every once in a while. It's not just something that you do when you go up to the front of the church and you, and you hold your, your hand out and the, and the priest or the pastor gives you the piece of bread. If you're a Catholic, you puts it in your, in your hand and then that's good. Or you don't go up there. Like you always ever, ever want to like psych out the priest when you go up to take the Lord's Supper and you walk up, you're like, Ah, choose wisely, you know, white-robed man. You know, like, you, it's not just that. You know, the Lord's Supper is so much more. All my Catholic friends are going to be emailing me about that. Don't make fun of the priest. He's holy. <laughs> it's so much more. The Lord's Supper is actually a powerful picture that God has placed in Scripture to show us, to help us wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus had to die. That Jesus had to die. Today I want us to dive into that even further and go deeper as we study and break down the Lord's Supper together. So starting off, if you have your Bibles, open them up to the Gospel of Mark chapter 14, verse 22. If you don't have your Bibles, there's some at the end of the row. Those are yours to keep. You don't have to feel like you got to like sneak them under your shirt or your purse to get them out of here. Those are yours. You can take those as a gift from me to you. Mark chapter 14. Verse 22. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you were here last week, you're like, Felix, we did that last week. We went through like 14, 10 through 33 last week. And if you've been, if you don't know, we, we go verse by verse through the Bible. Okay? And so we've been going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark for like the past two years. And last week we did chapters, uh, chapter 14, verses 10 through 33. Today we're going to revisit that because like a bad midnight infomercial, wait, there is more. There's more to it, okay? And so let's go ahead and let me set the scene here as you guys are turning there. If you remember, Jesus had just gathered all of his disciples together. And he said, okay, we're going to eat the Passover in this room inside this town, okay? And then they're gathered together in this room. It's called the Upper Room. Judas has just decided to backstab Jesus and betray him. He has met with the chief priests of the council. He's gone out before this. He's met with them. He's made a deal and a pact with them to betray Jesus for a fee of silver. And Jesus has been sitting around all of his disciples. And as he's sitting there and they're doing the Passover meal, which is, this is where we're at we're during the week of the festival, the Passover. They're sitting up in the upper room. They're eating their meal. And as they're sitting there, Jesus does something that's just going to blow our freaking minds away. And maybe not blow our minds away because it's kind of hard for us to understand, but the minds of the disciples are going to be completely shell-shocked as to what he's going to say. Let's go ahead and read verse 22. Verse 22. It says, And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take this, take this, my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for me. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, what has just happened here probably dropped the jaws of all the disciples in that room. Like, what Jesus just said made their jaws drop. They probably looked at each other like, what did he say? Like, what just happened? Like, why would he say that? Because by saying these words, by Jesus saying those, those words that we just read, he had just broken 
thousands upon thousands of years of tradition that same night. He had completely rewritten the meaning and the order of the Passover. He completely changed it. And to understand why this was so radical and how it it helps us understand why Jesus had to die, we first need to understand the order and the meaning of the original Passover. And this is where it's going to be a lot of facts and a lot of things like that. So I hope you guys are, are, are prepared for that, okay? We talked a little bit about this last week. We said that for the ancient Jewish and for the present Jews today, and even some Messianic Jews, that this Passover was an annual meal, an annual celebration of the, uh, the breaking of the bondage of the slavery of the Jews back in Egypt. And this is something they did every year. They remembered what, what they had gone through and what, how they were brought out of that. So back in the day, the Jewish people were enslaved by the Egyptians. If you've been reading through the Bible for the whole year, you'll find out that at the end of Genesis, Joseph's family comes back into Egypt. And Jacob is, is, is told Joseph, hey, we got to be fruitful and multiply, brother. We got to get it on. We got to populate. We got to just recreate and all that good stuff, right? And so they come over and they start populating the land where somewhere between Genesis and Exodus, Pharaoh gets ticked off and enslaves all the Jews. He's like, man, there's a lot of people here. I think we can put them to work for minimum wage. You know, and so he goes there and he enslaves all the Jews. And so what's going on is Moses comes over and he has to be sent by God to bring the slaves out of Egypt. Okay, it was a great, great thing that happens in the history of Israel. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you can read all about it in Exodus. But what Jesus is doing here on this night is celebrating this moment in history with his disciples. Okay, he's having the meal and he's sitting around there. And if you think about it, if you think about it, all of this came at the most perfect time. Because in just a few hours, Jesus was going to be betrayed by Judas. He was going to be led in front of a council. He was going to be judged inappropriately. And he was going to be led to the cross to be crucified within a matter of just a few days here. And the disciples really didn't understand that yet. And so what he's doing is he's taking this time to take the Passover meal. And it was the perfect way to illustrate what was about to happen to him. Just one more time before he died. The disciples were stupid people. Let's just kind of get that straight up right here. They were probably, they were a lot like me. They just don't get things very often. Things kind of like go over their heads very much. And so they needed this time to just take one more chance to try to explain the Passover to them and what was about to happen. Now, like I said, this meal was an annual event. It was something that happened constantly every year. And there was only two things that God had commanded the Jews to do during this time. The first thing he commanded them to do was to do it every year. Don't skip it. Don't, 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 don't forget to do it. Don't, don't say, you know, this year we're not going to do Passover. We're going to take a vacation in Miami. Whatever it is, we don't. No, this year we want you to do it every single year. The other thing that, that God commanded us was do it every year and then do it the exact same way every time. So the Passover would go something like this. Every once in a while, every year, the families would gather together, and sometimes their friends would come together. They would gather in a room in the house, and they would all get together, and the head of the household would stand up. There would be a meal prepared for them. And in this meal, there was different elements and different things that were on the table, and each thing had a specific meaning. And throughout the meal, the head of the household, the father of the house, the whoever who was in charge of the house would stand up and he would present these certain elements and almost like kind of offer them to the people and they would partake. And as a, as a, as a whole program, they would go through this, this session of elements 
learning about the, 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 uh, the exodus that happened from their great, 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 great grandfathers. And the people of God have been doing this year after year, ever since the first Passover. But on this very night, Jesus changes it all. He changes everything. Now, the disciples were Jewish. So that means that growing up, they would have done this every single year. Like every year growing up, they did this. You remember those things that you do every year as, your, as, as a family? Like for our family, every year we would go to Garner. Like we would always go to Garner State Park, and we'd always have that really awkward moment where we were like, you know, I was in the inner tube and I flipped over and I almost drowned. And like every year we went to Garner State Park, and I can't swim, and I was like freaking out. My dad pulled me from the hair because I had a lot of hair because I'm Hispanic, and he just, you know. And so every year these disciples would do this, and they knew it by heart. Like, they weren't, they weren't that dumb. They knew it by heart. It was a very repetitive thing to them. And so they even could have probably done this themselves. They, but tonight, something completely different happened. And the first thing we need to know about the Passover was this. We've got to know the original to understand what Jesus did. The first thing about the Passover is that there was four cups that are involved in the Passover. Four cups, a lot like this cup right here. They were filled with wine or grape juice if you're Baptist. And so they're filled with wine, and Jesus had four of these cups lined up. And each cup represented a certain promise by God. The first cup represented the promise of God to the people of God that he was going to rescue them from Egypt. So the first cup was that God was going to rescue you from Egypt. The second cup represented the promise of God that he would free them from their slavery. Okay? And the third cup was the promise that he was going to ultimately redeem them back to the uh, back to him, not by their power, but by his power. And then the fourth cup represented the future promise that he would finally restore relationships with the people once and for all at some point in the future. So four different cups, four different means. And what would happen during the Passover was that the head of the household would stand up. He would hold up the first cup. He would remind them what it was about and what it represented. And then he would pass the cup around, and they would all take a drink from the cup. Each person would have a drink from the cup and remember that promise of God. And then he would pick up the second cup. Okay, and after that cup made his way around, he would pick up the second cup and he would remind them what the second cup meant, the promise of the fact that, um, that he was going to free them from the slavery in Egypt. And he would talk about that story and, and tell them how, how he remembered back when his great-great-great-grandfather was a slave and was led out by Moses. And he would pass that cup around and they would do that. Now, before he went to the third cup, he would grab some bread, okay? Now, he would hold it up and he would break it and he would remind his family that the bread actually stood for the affliction of the Jews. Now, this bread wasn't like the bread at Subway. Like, this isn't Italian herbs and cheese, okay? This isn't whole honey, whole grain oat. No, this bread is what we call matzah. In fact, it looked exactly like this. It was a bread called matzah, okay? And this matzah was, was something that was made without leaven. Leaven was basically something like yeast. It would cause the bread to rise and fluff up, okay? And leaven in the Bible represented sin. So during this Holy Week, during this time when everyone got together and was remembering the Passover, they would be cleansing themselves of sin. And so sin was represented in yeast or leaven. So they would eat bread that was unleavened bread. It was unleavened. It was flat bread. It was like a, like a saltine cracker, basically. And so he would hold up this bread, and he would tell them that it represented the affliction of all their Jewish forefathers. And each person in the family would take a piece of that bread. They would break off a piece of that bread. 
and they would take it into themselves or eat the bread, and it would stop and they would pause for a moment. And as the bread broke into their mouth, they would remember all the brokenness and the affliction that their Jewish forefathers had when they were enslaved in Egypt. So imagine the disciples' shock. Imagine the shock on their face when the first time in thousands of years Jesus changed that tradition. Because he didn't stand up there and say, take this bread as a remembrance of the affliction of the forefathers. No, he didn't say that. What he said was, if you look at verse 22, he said this. He says, and as they were eating, he broke the bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. He didn't say, take, this is for the affliction of my forefathers. He said, no, take, this is me. It's my body. Jesus took this to a whole nother level. He took Passover to a whole nother level because if you look deeper at the text, and if you look at the Greek meaning of what he just said here, in the Greek it says, take, because I myself am this bread. He's saying this bread is literally me. This is literally my body. Jaws must have dropped throughout there because what Jesus just did was he changed the meaning of the bread. Whose authority did he have to do that? Thousands of years of tradition has always been the affliction of the forefathers of, 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 of Jewish uh, people and slaves in, in Egypt. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Today, this is going to be my body. And from now on, the broken bread no longer represented the affliction of the forefathers taken by, on by the people of God. It was representing Jesus' body and the truth that he would one day take on the affliction of the people of God so that they wouldn't have to do it anymore. What Jesus was trying to teach his disciples here is that the kingdom of God would be established by the breaking of his body. Not by the breaking of the affliction of, of slavery, but by the breaking of his body. He had been telling them this for years, actually, though. For the past three years, he's been preaching them. He, guys, I have to die. I have to be broken. But the disciples did not want to believe him. The disciples could not get this concept of Jesus having to die to become the Savior of the world. They, it was just far beyond them. They thought that, that it would be established, that the kingdom would be established by the breaking of, like, the Roman government. Because Romans were bad at that time. And so they thought that this whole breaking of the affliction that was going to happen again, just like it did back in Egypt, was going to happen again in Rome. And they were like, okay, the way we will get saved from this oppression that we we're under, this Roman oppression, is that the Messiah will come and he will break Roman rule. But on this night, in a crazy, radical rate, Jesus told them it was not going to happen like that. No, 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 no. It's going to happen differently. It's going to be my body. Instead, the kingdom of God will be established by the breaking of something else. Jesus' body. And sure, there's, there's still going to be affliction. There's still going to be problems. But this affliction that he was talking about was no longer going to be on the backs of, of the people of God, but rather on the back of the Son of God. Jesus was talking about the cross at this moment. He was talking about the nails that are going to be inside of his wrists, inside of his feet. He was talking about the torture and the beatings that he was about to endure. He was talking about the crown of thorns that was going to make him bleed from his forehead. He was talking about the nakedness that, and, the, and the, the pain that he was going to be in. He was talking about 
the insulting and the cussing and the spitting of venom that was going to be coming from the prisoners, you know, that were going to be crucified alongside him. This was, in fact, going to be the affliction that was now going to be upon him and on the backs of the people of God. It was about to become the, the, the fact that he was about to become sin and that he was about to be temporarily separated from his God, who he knew he had been together with, connected with for eternity. But at that moment, the affliction that he was about to feel on the cross was going to cause him to be separated from his Father for all of us here today. Jesus was changing the Passover right before the eyes of his disciples, and he was giving it a whole new meaning. A whole new meaning, something that was deeper, something that was more rich, something better. But isn't that what he does anyway? He always changes things. He always makes things new. We'll get back to that in a little bit. He did all these things, okay, but he also skipped something. See, after the bread was lifted up, the head of the household would lift up some bitter herbs, okay? And he would dip them into some salt water. Now, the salt water represented the tears of the Jews during that time of affliction. The bitter herbs were there to represent the hardship and the bitterness that was being dealt with within the land at the moment. And they would eat these, these herbs and the salt water and remember the bitterness and the sadness of the slavery of Egypt. But if you look at the story of the Last Supper and all the gospel accounts, okay, you'll find that, that Jesus just didn't skip, he, that he did just skip over this. Like he didn't even talk about them. Some people say, well, well, well maybe, maybe just Mark didn't record that in the gospel. But the problem is that Luke didn't record it and Matthew didn't record it. So Jesus literally skipped out on this moment. He didn't even pick them up. He didn't even look at them. He didn't even reference them, okay? Jesus was making something totally new to Passover. So what was Jesus saying here? By skipping the herbs and the salt water, what he was saying is that there was going to be a new kingdom that he was going to be establishing once and for all that would take away the bitterness and the, sin and the sadness and the tears of all the people of God. That's why he skipped it. This new kingdom he was establishing, we don't even have to remember about that because in heaven there is no more sadness. There is no more affliction. There is no more tears. There wasn't going to be sadness anymore. There wasn't going to be bitterness anymore. There wasn't going to be any more pain. There wasn't going to be any, anything like that for me and for you. It's kind of like I'm back to the future. Y'all seen Back to the Future? Where Marty McFly and his girl gets in the car and, and, the, and Doc's in there. And Marty's like, Doc, we ain't got enough room. We, enough room. We, we ain't got enough room to make 88 miles per hour. And Doc's like, well, we're going. We don't need roads. You know, so it's kind of Jesus saying, like, where you're going, you don't need tears. You know? All right. You guys are asleep. Dang it, I lost them. Pastor fail. But not all... You guys are like an idiot pastor. But not all of those... Uh, uh, not all of that... But that wasn't all. The original Passover also had something else. There was a mixture of fruit that came along after the herbs and the salt water. This mixture of fruit was usually fresh or dried fruit. It was mixed with nuts and with honey and even wine at some times. They would mix all this fruit together and it would be a, 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 a symbol to be remembering the actual bricks and the mortar that the Jewish people made and used to build cities and monuments during their time of toil and slavery in Egypt. And once again, Jesus broke tradition and completely skipped over the fruit to show them and to show us that this new kingdom he was establishing would be free from slavery. We weren't going to be oppressed by sin anymore. 
We weren't going to be controlled by by the world. We weren't going to be tempted to be constantly going against God and enslaved to sin. He was going to free us from the slavery of sin. And finally, finally, towards the end of the night, after holding up the first two cups of wine, after holding up the unleavened bread that represented Jesus' body now, after not holding up the bitter herbs, and after holding up the mixed fruit, the head of the house would actually stand up and serve the main course. If you like me, you like the main course because you love the main course. The main course is really good. This was the best part of the whole Passover meal because it became, this is, what came next was the lamb. And if you're a man, you like to eat lamb because it's good, right? Unless it's cooked with rosemary and tastes weird, but that's a spice issue. And as they ate it, the head of the household would, would tell the story about the lamb. He would say that, that this lamb, which they had just killed earlier that morning, that this lamb was serving to remind them about the first Passover night when they were still slaves in Egypt. And if you remember from last year, we talked a little bit about that when, when, when the slaves were in Egypt, when the Jews were in Egypt, God sent Moses, and Moses went to Pharaoh, and Moses told Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, God told me to come tell you to let my people go. And Pharaoh was like, Psh, nah, bro, it ain't going to happen, you know? And Moses was like, all right, let me go tell God what you said. He goes back and tells God, and God's like, you know what? Go back to him, and when you tell him that again, if he says no, I'm going to start sending plagues. And he starts sending plagues into the, the, the land of, of Egypt. These plagues are the things like frogs and, and boils and darkness and even turning the Nile into blood, which is pretty crazy, you know. And so all these plagues started coming to Pharaoh. And, but the last plague was the worst plague of all. The last one was the one that was kind of like the end game, the atomic bomb of God to Pharaoh. This last plague was the plague of death. The plague of death. And then one final act, with one final sweep of God's almighty wrath and his sword, there was going to be justice served for the Jews. But God told Moses something rather odd about the final plague. Because the final plague was different this time. Something was, was different about it. He says that he would send the angel of death to kill the firstborn son of the Egyptians and the Israelites. You thought Game of Thrones was wild. This was wild, okay? He would send the firstborn, he would send the angel of death to float over the land, and he would take the lives of all the firstborn sons of Egypt and the firstborn sons of the Israelites. Now, you're like, that's not the way the story goes. Yes, I'm getting there. I'm sure the people of God were wondering, why would he do that? See, God is no respecter of men. And to be honest, it's a question I've struggled with for a very long time. Why couldn't God just say, you know what, just the Egyptians are going to get slaughtered and the firstborn is going to be taken? Why didn't God say, you know what, I'm not even going to bother with this whole sweeping of a death angel. It's just one morning you're going to wake up and all the Egyptians are going to be gone. Why didn't he do it? Why couldn't he just kill them all off? Why did he have to send a death angel to go to every house in the land, every family in the land, both Egyptian and Jew, every, every person in the land, every man, every woman, every household was going to get this. This is why. Because when it came time for God to pass judgment over the sin of the land, the Egyptians and the Israelites were both equally qualified to be put to death because of sin. They were both equally sinful. 
The people of God and the Egyptians were both sinful people. What does does Scripture say? That we have all fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. Everyone will be judged for the sins. And this is what God is saying. That he is going to send the angel and every firstborn child of the household will be killed that night. At the end of the day, God's people were just as guilty as the Egyptians. But there was a difference, however. There was something different. There was, there was something that came in. God was going to provide a way for his people to be saved from this just, just judgment of sin and death. He was willing to make an exchange for them. God, in all of his mercy, was willing to offer them a substitute for their firstborn. And it would take... It would, take the, the, it would look like this. It would be a spotless lamb, and they would kill the spotless lamb. God said, find a spotless lamb, sacrifice it, kill it, and then shed its blood and put it over the doorpost of your homes. And when the death angel will sweep across the land, it will look at the blood of the spotless lamb, and it would say that that blood is sufficient for my sacrifice. That blood is enough for me, and it would pass over the household, hence the, the name the Passover. But Jesus doesn't mention a lamb in his last moment as in the Last Supper. Jesus doesn't stand up and say, this is the lamb. He's not like the, 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 the head of the household. No, he does something different. Not only did Jesus skip the herbs and he skipped the fruit, but he didn't talk about the lamb either. He did something different. Why would he skip the most important part of the Passover meal? Jesus was trying to show the disciples that he was the lamb. That he was the lamb. Jesus is God's great exchange for our sins. He is God's once and forever substitute, our once and forever sacrificial lamb. And in just a few hours, he would walk to the cross. He would shed his blood like a sacrificial lamb. And he would take that blood. He would wrap it on the doorpost of our lives. And if they and if we, the disciples, and if we would just trust in him once and for all and place that blood on the doorpost of our lives, then the the judgment of sin and death would pass over me and you here today. We will not die the due death of sin because our sin will be substituted by Jesus' blood. And Jesus skipped over all of that. And after breaking the bread, he jumped right into the third cup. Jumped right into the third cup. The third cup was a promise of God to ultimately redeem his people. Not by the power, but by his power. Not by our power, but by his power. Let's look at that moment again in Scripture, verse 23. It says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the many. Jesus' blood was going to redeem them and us. It wasn't a cup filled with wine. It was a cup filled with his blood. Not literally, but it represented his blood. It no longer represented the blood of the lamb. It represented Jesus' blood, okay? It was not going to be by our efforts. It was going to be by his efforts, by his efforts on the cross. God saves us through his blood, the lamb of God. That's why John the Baptist pointed out when Jesus woke up to him. Jesus walking up to him. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world in John 1.29. That's why Paul says it in Romans 6.23 when he says the wages of sin is what? Wages of sin is death, 
but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then it's why John says it again in 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that those who believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You guys know this stuff. Jesus became our sacrificial lamb. Our sacrificial lamb whose blood would be a statement to tell death to pass over us. But you got to know, church, you got to know this, that while this blood will redeem you, while this blood, this sacrifice will serve as payment for your sins, no matter how big or how small they are, this blood only works if you run it over the doorpost of your heart, which means you have to accept and believe in Jesus Christ the Lord. If you do not do that, it is the same as slaughtering the lamb and walking away from it. You knew about Jesus, but you never trusted enough in Jesus to pour his blood over the doorpost of your heart. There is no other way. I'm sorry. There is no other way to get out of this. When your heart realizes that it is at its core, at its core, our hearts are sinful and deserving of death. But Jesus became our sacrifice to be the exchange for us. Our proper response is to accept it and to accept him as our Lord. And what happens after that? What happens after that? I'll end with this. If you remember, there was four cups in the original Passover meal, right? There was four cups. Or the fourth cup of the Passover represented the promise of God in Exodus 6, 6 through 7. That one day, he would completely renew the relationship that he had with his people. That's what that cup represented. So Jesus goes, and after he picks up the third cup, and he said that it was his blood that would redeem his people. And he said that that was the power of God through his body, through his blood that was going to redeem everyone. You would think he'd pick up the fourth cup, right? Because that's what you do. No. See, Jesus did not pick up the fourth cup at all. He didn't do the typical thing that, that was expected by his disciples. Instead, he does this. He says this in verse 25. Verse 25 says that he said, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine, which is wine, until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Through all of this, God is going to completely renew our relationship with him. And what Jesus is saying is that he will not even drink that cup on that night, but rather he will wait to the moment when we are all redeemed and we are all together and we are all together around the table of worship of Jesus. And on that day, we will come together and we will drink together with Jesus and say that the promise of God when he would redeem us back to him forever, once and for all, has come complete. Now there is a day that has come when all the blood-bought people of God are going to be around the table, the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, we will lift up the fourth cup and we will drink it anew with Jesus. And we will get together with Christ. And we will raise our glasses to him. And we will say, it's because of you that we are able to be here today. Because of you, we are seated around this table with you. There is a day that is coming when the followers of Christ, men and women like me and you, will be with him in heaven. And on that great day of victory, we will sit together and we will drink with Jesus together. We will rejoice and celebrate and worship Jesus together on the day. Church, 
let me ask you this. Do you have that relationship with Christ? Do you have that relationship with Christ? The type of relationship that says that, that you've been accepted by him. Do you, have, have you been accepted? Have you accepted the truth of Jesus becoming the, uh, the absolute substitute for our sins? Have you accepted that fact? If you haven't, in a minute, you're going to have a chance to make that commitment today. In a minute, we're going to have a time of commitment and prayer. And during that time, we're going to come up here, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. And what's going to happen is you're going to come up here, you're going to walk up to the, to the matzah, you're going to walk up to the, the, the wine, or in this case, sparkling grape juice, and you're going to come up here. I totally ruined the moment, I know, I'm sorry. And you're going to come up here, and you're going to break off a piece of the bread, and you're just going to break off a little piece like this. And you're going to take the bread, and you're going to dip it into the wine. And when you put it in your mouth, you're going you're gonna to taste that bread, you're going to taste that wine. And as the bread breaks on your tongue, as you break it with a bite, I don't want you to think about something you've done every year in your life, every day, every Sunday at church, something that just comes as, you know, something you do all the time. I want you to think about this. As you break it with a bite, think about the life of Jesus that was broken with the wrath of God for your sins. Think about that. And as the juice starts to run across your tongue, as, you, as the flavor of that hits your mouth, remember the blood of Jesus that ran across the doorpost of your heart to serve as a substitute for your sins. We're going to do this. We're going to stand up. We'll, we'll worship. We'll have a time of prayer. I want you guys to get it right in your heart. If, 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 you're, if you're, you're, you're missing something with God, maybe you've been like, man, this whole week has just been crap, and I've been, just been going totally against God. I haven't even thought about God. Maybe this is time for you to repent before you come up here and do this. This is your time to kind of cleanse your heart, take an inventory of your heart. And when you come up here and you receive this, this last Lord's Supper, remember the sacrifice that God did for you. The death of His Son. Remember that sacrifice. And during this song, anytime we can come up here and do this. But as you do, do not take it lightly. Don't just come up here and do it because everyone's doing it. Do it because you will remember what Christ has done for you. Let that pierce your heart here today. And if at any time you need prayer, I will be up here to be praying for you. You come up here and we can pray. But at this moment, let's all stand up. We're going to listen to the song. We're going to remember that the Lord our God is our sacrificial lamb once and forever. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for today and thank you for this beautiful evening. May we remember your son's sacrifice, the blood of the lamb. And may we just find forgiveness, hope, love, and grace in your son's sacrifice. God, redeem us from all of our sins and make us holy today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Whenever you're ready, you can make your way up. Where Jesus bled and died for me.